Are you looking to get more out of your throw and become a better disc golfer? In this podcast with Holland Hanley, we do just that. We learn how a player who just picked up disc golf only three years ago has become one of the best players in the FPO field. We learn about form, we learn how to improve our distance, and we're going to learn so much more on this episode. Make sure you stay tuned through the end, and you might even get some mental tips that will help your disc golf game when things are going poorly. Let's get Holland on the podcast right now. What's up, guys? I'm Holland Hanley, sponsored by Dynamic Discs, and you're listening to the Chain Clinkers Podcast. Alrighty, everyone, super excited to have Holland on the show with us, one of the furthest throwers in the game. I think we're going to learn a ton in this episode. Holland, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Well, I am doing fantastic. Quentin, how are you doing? I cannot wait to get uh, get this going here. Thanks for coming on, Holland. Really looking forward to chit-chatting with you. I personally am doing okay. I'm glad to be here. Super excited to learn. Uh, financially and sports gambling wise doing absolutely horrible right now it's been a very <laughs> bad night uh, I, I we're recording this on Thursday night football uh, Packers Titans I took the no score first possession of course there was a touchdown and then five straight three now so absolutely absolutely good stuff but we're not here to talk about sports bet we are here to talk about Holland and learn more about her disc golf journey Holland so start me off where was the first time that you ever kind of ran into disc golf how did you find disc golf uh, yeah, so I first encountered disc golf about three years ago. Um, my boyfriend actually found it, found some video online, um, and suggested you know we go grab ourselves uh, some starter packs and check it out because it looked like a fun way to get outside and you know something to do together. Um, so yeah, I just found the sport about three years ago. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can yeah, yeah, do that math. Just half a second. Three <laughs> years ago, and you're, you're, let's see here. Number 13 in the standings on UDIS Live. Something like that. Oh my gosh. Wow. Talk talk to me about, you know, how how did that happen? You know, how how did you go from from someone who's just kind of getting into disc golf? And if my math checks out, that's probably right before COVID, right around the time COVID started, right? Yeah, so it would have been like October of 2019 uh, was when we first went and tried. We just went to like a little nine pole up in uh, Irvine, California. Um, And we were horrible. We were horrible at the beginning. Had a video from the day. It's pretty great, actually. Um, But it was the kind of thing where we just like the the flight of the disc, man. You know, we we found ourselves wanting to go back out every weekend. Um, it became kind of the thing that we did Saturday and Sunday. We would drive about 30, 45 minutes to go play a course. Um, and then we found out there were tournaments. We found out there was this whole community doing stuff. And so I actually competed in my first amateur tournament the weekend before COVID hit. Um, okay. So oh, wow. then we were, we were all, yeah, we played this tournament. We were so gung-ho about playing all these tournaments when the summer came around and then COVID hit and everything was shut down. We couldn't even go to courses in California initially um, because of how strict everything was. And so, you know, we kind of started making up holes and stuff at our like local parks, local fields, um, started practicing a little bit more. And then that summer I just kind of decided 
I want to learn how to throw further. I've been watching coverage at this point, and uh, I wanted to figure out how to throw like the people that were on Jomez. And so I started looking at videos of my own form, and I just like dove and got super, super deep into it. Um, and then, you know, next thing I knew, I was just dying to play a tournament. So January 2021 rolls around. Um, I still can't play any tournaments in California, so I drove all the way to Arizona, about a, a six-hour drive, I want to say, um, to play this B tier called the Maricopa Open. Um, and I ended up, uh, Jennifer Allen was there, Katrina Allen was there. It was the first time playing with like touring pros, and um, I was like 8.95 rated at the time, and I ended up uh, taking it down. Um, so it's kind of this like nobody player just came out of nowhere and uh, took down this B tier. Um, that got attention from you know potential sponsors and everyone was I got interviewed on Smashbox and everyone was like oh what are you gonna do are you gonna tour are you gonna do all this stuff um, and like didn't have plans to tour at that point played just a few events a few tour events just to kind of see what it was like uh, in 2021 and then at the end of 2021 we were wanting to move uh, back to Texas and from Texas originally uh, we were wanting to move back to Texas and so I was at this weird crossroads of like trying to look for a job but I've been really into disc golf I've played a bunch of tournaments at this point I'd won a couple of A tiers at this point and I just wasn't into the job search at all um so I actually reached out to my sponsor and was like hey if I just like went on tour what would y'all give me and they immediately up their offer they were all about it um I was able we already had a truck I got a trailer um and we just decided I'm going to do this for a year we'll see how it goes um actually had a pretty good season and so now I'm gearing up for uh, year number two Wow, that is a... That was a very long-winded answer. I apologize. <laughs> I feel like I should know this, but uh, that was awesome. That is probably the quickest I've ever heard someone say, because, I mean, I think I've been playing longer than you, and I'm maybe 892 rated, and you're over here just crushing, beat, winning <laughs> B tiers on, like, okay, was that, like, six months, seven months, eight months after you first started when you won that B tier in it Arizona? Was, it was a year. It was a full a year. year. So that is, months, yeah. that's impressive. So walk me through kind of like to get to that point, you said you guys were making, um, you know, courses up in your local fields or at local parks. Like what was your goal and kind of how did you get there? And I mean, that fast is very rare, I think, but what was your goal and what were you working on? Like when you first fell in love to get to that point where you were taking down B tiers and A tiers and all these tournaments that quickly? Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is I didn't really have a huge goal, um, you know, when I decided I'm going to go to the field every other day or whatever and spend 30 minutes working on form. Like, my only goal was I just wanted to throw better. Um, like, at that time, I was maybe tapping, I was able to throw, like, maybe 280 if I got it on a good line, but I was like, I feel like if I really, you know, put some time in, I could be throwing 350 or, you know, something something bigger than that. So really, the, the goal was to just... Um, throw better I had no mm -hmm. aspirations to be like the local pro or to hop on tour or anything like that I just wanted to like get to the next kind of level and then once I got a little bit better at you know throwing backhand I was like okay well I want to get a little bit better at putting and so I started putting every day for half an hour um so it was really just like kind of put my head down and was like iterating or was uh, executing this process this practice process every week and then um I kind of looked up and had gotten a lot better and was like cool let's go do a b tier and then kind of surprised myself and everybody by like winning it and then mm -hmm. um it was kind of just back to like okay well let's just go back to trying to get better like it was never a, 
I want to win an elite series or I want to be a world champion. It was just like, I want to get better than I am right now. I think that's a fantastic mindset to have. You know, we talked a little bit on our last episode with Anthony from Happy With Par about, you know, you could be too competitive too early on and you could actually derail your disc golf game. And so it's really interesting to hear you say that you went out to the field and practiced and worked on your form and then started working on putting for 30 minutes a day. If I'm hearing you correctly, to build those good habits and to actually really see your game improve, you have to do it in the field. You're not going to elevate your game quickly by doing it on the course am i hearing you correctly yeah totally because when you're on the course right you're thinking about how do i get a birdie on this hole right you're thinking about what i need to aim at and like what how does the disc need to fly you can't be thinking about that and then also thinking about like how do i keep my arm you know away from my body or how my reach back point or what are my feet doing you can't think and focus about all of those things at one time like actively um, so the, the the nice thing about going to a field or even throwing into a net or even doing disc, you know, drills without a disc at all, what that does is it lets you kind of zero in on one little thing at a time. Um, and so you can kind of like take a little chunk, maybe just like footwork or even one specific part of footwork and just like get that right and then move on to another little chunk and then start to piece them together and then start bringing a disc into play. Like there's, you're actually by going this route that feels like super slow and super mundane it's actually the fastest way to get better walk us through the process <laughs> of exactly what you were doing to you know focus on really hammering out your form and getting better um, with your process that you used yeah it's great because i'm if actually in that process right now because it's november and i don't play again until february so um i think step one is you can just video yourself from the back from the side um, and find, like, look at it in slow motion, look at it frame by frame, and find the problem spots, right? Find the issues with, you know, whether it be your positioning, your footwork, your reach back, like, are you rounding, are you dipping, like, whatever it is, you know, find it, find the thing that you want to improve, and then, you know, either you can look at, like, what uh, other pros look like when they throw, um, and kind of compare yourself or you can find there's tons of good resources on YouTube tons of good channels with lots of different ideas for how to correct certain things but pick one thing um, to focus on you ready showtime on May 3rd summer starts with the fall guy let's do it later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And you kind of have to have the mindset of, like, I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to focus on this one thing until I get it. And then... I'll usually start with a, a drill that doesn't involve a disc. So like if I'm working on uh, footwork or if I'm working on positional work, take the disc out of it so you can focus on what your body's doing. And so progress through those drills. And once you've mastered that, you can start kind of throwing into a net. I like throwing into the net next just because you aren't distracted by what the disc, the disc is doing. You can still focus on what is your body doing. And throughout this entire process, you gotta have that video camera for, for feedback because there's kind of a separation between what feels right and what looks right. And so once that what feels right, what looks right starts to coincide, then you go to the field and you start throwing there. 
and again, you're trying to get everything to look right, feel right, and fly right, now you're ready to go to a course. So yeah. let me just backtrack. So it's better almost to just throw into a net to really work on your form instead of being worried about the flight of the disc. How do you know when it's right to go from throwing into the net into putting it all together in the field still and seeing what the flight of your disc is? Like, like is the flight of your disc really ever – I don't know, influencing you like, like, is that what determines a good or bad outcome in your shot? Or is it, okay, I hit this certain thing in my form, right? Even though the throw and the flight wasn't good, this is still a positive rep. Like, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So if you take the example of like, if you're trying to get rid of rounding, right, there's a lot of reasons why people round, but maybe you're trying to reach back wider. That's something that I actually worked on was reaching back wider. Um, if I change my reach back point, my throws are going to be worse than they were a second ago when I was reaching back the way I wanted, even though I'm rounding and I'm doing all of these things form wise that are incorrect. While I'm trying to figure out that one little thing, I'm going to temporarily throw worse. So that's why I say throw into a net remove that distraction. Um, and so when you get to the second part of your question, which is when you, when are you ready to go from the net into the field? It's when you are able to do the thing you're trying to do automatically without having to think very hard about it. Right? So the way you determine this is, all right, I'm going to throw into the net right now. I'm thinking about the thing I want to change. And then I go and I look at my video of it. Is it what I wanted to see? If they're, if that's, if the, the look of it and the feel of it, we're both correct. Now you go back, you try to throw again without thinking about it. Now, once you're able to repeatedly do the thing you want to do without having to think about it and it looks correct on video, you're ready to go throw in a field. So the, the question that I was going to ask is, are you throwing these reps at full 100% game speed or are you lightening how hard you're throwing them since you're just throwing into a net? Yeah, you're, I'm definitely not throwing full speed because <clears throat> it's really hard to go against your ingrained habits if you're going full speed. So I would recommend going like even as slow as you need to go to start to get the positions that you're trying to get. So if we go back to that case of like rounding, go as slow as you need to so that you are not rounding and then you gradually speed it up. Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. I actually kind of latched on to one thing you said about reach back because I'm thinking about my reach back all the time and I always feel like I'm a little bit off. You said reach back wider. It so, sounds pretty self-explanatory, but could you kind of give me a little bit more detail about what you mean when you when you say reach back wider? Because I know I am focusing on that and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that are wondering how their reach back should look. Yeah, so I mean, an ideal reach back, right? If I draw a line from my left shoulder to my right shoulder, and then I draw another line from my right shoulder to my right elbow, that first line and that second line should pretty much be at a 90 degree angle throughout the entirety of the throw, right? So when I'm reach back, it's a 90 degree angle. When I hit the power pocket, it's a 90 degree angle. And then when I'm facing forward because I just released the disc, it's still a 90 degree angle. Um, so if you're looking for kind of like the base level drill, you can actually take. Um, take like a box like an Amazon box and like hold it here uh, it like in, like you make a power pocket and you hold the box there right because that's the position you're wanting to go to and then you can practice your footwork while make while the box is forcing you into that position 
And so you can practice kind of coiling back without like extending your arm, just kind of coiling back while holding that box and then kind of swinging through with your footwork. And once that starts to feel pretty good, you can then remove the box, start to do it without the box. And then next would be you without the box and then maybe you extend the arm and then you can add a disc into that. And then when you start throwing into the net, what I would do is you take like, you take something, some kind of target, like a bag or a cone and you put it in the back left corner, right? So if I'm facing my target this way, it would be back left. And then every time I reach back before I throw, I'm trying to touch, air quotes, touch that target before I pull through. And then you go slow enough that you don't just automatically revert back to how you've always reached back. And um, that little bag target trick is actually something you can then, when you're trying to apply this to your throws, you can take it to the course and just put your bag on the back left corner of the um, of the tee pad to serve as kind of a reminder. Mm, that's yeah, yeah, that's really yeah. smart. So would you say that it's better to almost start from a standstill and work on your upper half of your body or should you focus on the lower half of your body to begin improving one's own form? Yeah, that's a good question because um, I definitely went the route of like you should do standstills before you add the footwork, which I think if you're just trying to jump on the course day one and have a good time, that's fine. Throw standstills. But if you're actually trying to get to a point where you throw really well, like your standstill throw, it I think actually starting with the upper body focus can build some bad habits because then you start to do things like reach straight back and then your body gets in the way. So if you've got the time and the patience for it and it's worth it to you long term, I think it's actually better to drill the footwork first and then worry about the upper body after that. Okay. That, man, we've kind of gone back and forth on that a little bit. We talk a lot about standing still just to practice, but obviously we're all still learning here. So the benefit there would be you would have your footwork hammered out and then you could focus on kind of like what we were just talking about, the box drill or something similar to work on your reach back and then put it all together. By, yeah, and by you know, when the, we're talking about like your reach back and what your upper body's doing, a lot of that's dictated by the position you put your body in with your feet, right? Right. So like... Right how you reach back with your upper body depends on where your feet are when you finish your footwork. So I guess like, you know, your feet impact, your, your lower body impacts your upper body. Even when you're talking about initiating the throw, right? You're initiating it with your legs and your hips turning first. And then the rest of your body follows kind of like a whip action. Yeah. Let's explore this further. Let's explore the, the footwork, I guess, you know, a lot of people, uh, at least have the basic idea of what an X step is, but should there be a certain placement that that final step is hitting? Is it the, let's say the upper left-hand corner of the tee box, you know, straight in the middle of the tee box to the right of the tee box? Like, is there a certain position that your foot should be trying to go every single time when you're on the box? So, no, um, I'm really glad you asked this question. Um, because the way you aim is with your feet, right? So what if the tee box is not aimed along the line that you want to take, right? So if right. I'm saying I always run up from the left back to the left front of the tee pad, well, that could be going right into a tree. Um, I think it depends on the hole and the shot that you're trying to throw. So for example, if I'm trying to throw a hyzer up a hill, I might need to run up a little bit more left to right 
than I would if it was flat because the nose is up and the disc is going to want to hyzer early. So it really, it depends on the shot you're trying to throw. So follow up to that. Yeah. Sorry, Trent. Follow up <laughs> to that. If you, okay. So a problem that I have, regardless of what the line is, I feel like I always try to hit that top left corner of the box because I need to get there so I can have as much rotation on my hips and heel and that stuff. That way I can generate more uh, spin, more force in the hips, right? So would it be better instead of always hitting that corner, hit, I guess, instead of running straight, like if I want to end my foot in the middle of the tee box, would it be better to start my body then to the right of the tee box and step on like halfway through so that way I'm still able to generate that hit power and that spin like does that make yeah, sense so kind of what i'm saying i think i think i understand what you're saying so your footwork should pretty much be the same all the time right but where you start and where you end your run up relative to the t-pad itself depends on the shot you're trying to throw does that make sense yeah and so it depends i guess Depending on where the disc or where you want the disc to go or where the basket is or where the line is or whatever, that's going to depend on if you're, if you're, if you're, I mean, if the pad is straight in front of you and you're, you know, if you need to go to the right, you're going to end up, your body's going to be facing the line you want to go on, right? Is that essentially what you're saying by your, your foot yeah, works should yeah, be the exact wanna... same. You're just going to change the angle of where you're aiming, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like if we were to have, say you've got, you know, a fairway and there's kind of a left gap and a right gap, you got to pick a gap. You're not going to start and finish your run up in the same place on the tee pad for either of those shots, right? You're going to, if you're trying to go the right gap, you're going to start a little more right and you're going to finish a little more right than if you're going for the left gap. Makes perfect sense. So when, hmm, okay, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. <laughs> um okay sorry that was stupid um here we go no, let's right. see here you know. <laughs> this guy i'm a little sleep deprived i'm sorry moving on from that part of it so we've we've talked a little bit about footwork upper body um you talked a little bit how your distance and if or i guess no before we get into that you talked about forehand being another thing that you're very good at. Um, how can, mm -hmm. what is, what is your pointers for these, like a similar type of conversation that you would have with someone looking to improve their forehand game? Yeah. So it's the, it's the same thing really. Um, with the forehand, I kind of, I think the important, most important thing for a forehand, right. Is that release. Cause you see people who they release it and it kind of wobbles the difference between a forehand and a backhand is a backhand, you don't have to think about how the disc leaves your hand because it just rips out of your hand. It's different with a forehand. You do actually have to let the disc go and you have to create the snap and create the spin yourself. So I actually advise people to start there and then work their way backwards. Um, so I say take like, it doesn't matter what discs, what speeds, whatever. You take a stack of discs and you go out into your net or into the field or whatever because the disc isn't going that far and you're just working on this snap, right? Only wrist, maybe a little bit of elbow because you're gonna have a little bit of body English, but you're just working on getting a clean release. And when you're able to consistently get that clean release, you start reaching back a little bit further, right? And so we're trying to create lag here with our elbow and our wrist. So the idea is the elbow's gonna come in and then there's the snap. So that's 
Step one is just get the snap. Step two is get a little bit of elbow and get the snap. Step three is a little bit further back and then try to get the snap. And then once you're sufficiently far back enough that like you got a workable sidearm, that's when you can start doing the footwork, um, which, you know, and there's, there's a lot of different ways to do the footwork. The way that I personally teach it is, or, and do it myself is like, when you reach that peak reach back point with your upper body, that's when that front foot or your left foot in the case of a right-handed thrower is going to hit the ground and that initiates the swing forward. Gotcha. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. So really, if I'm understanding you correctly, for backhand, you should incorporate everything. You should be incorporating the footwork and the upper body at the same time, where for forehand, you need to get really proficient with that snap and with that release point, and you need to get it to where you're able to have a full, quote, reach back with the forehand before you even think about incorporating footwork, right? Yeah, I don't know if I would go that extreme. Like, I think you can have like a partial reach back and then start incorporating footwork. Um, I can think of players on tour who've done this. I myself have done this because I think what happens is a lot of people, they're able to get that clean snap when they isolate it and they do just the wrist or just a little bit of elbow. And then they start adding the footwork and the full reach back and all of a sudden it just starts wobbling because they added too many variables at once. The fact is when you have this, that's a functioning forehand. It just doesn't go very far. So if you want to do the footwork and then just do a limited reach back, that's a very functional shot. That's a very useful shot. And I think it's totally fine to start there. And then, you know, in later sessions, you can start exploring that, that further reach back. I have a question on like follow through of the snap. So we've talked a little bit about like, I don't know, I think it's been called, uh, holding the pizza or maybe rolling over like kind of like baseball or softball what ideally is the what how should your hand follow through should you keep your palm up should it just naturally roll over like what what is i guess a, a good snap follow through on a forehand throw mm -hmm. yeah so first we'll talk about what you just said is like uh like serving the pizza so this thing that's mm -hmm. not how you want to throw you want to throw more like throwing a ball you want to get this action with your wrist Granted, it's not going to be this extreme because you're not, you know, unless you're doing like a one finger, it's going to be some kind of hybrid. But the idea is you want to go where there's a fuller range of motion because uh, right. you're going to get a cleaner release. It's also going to be easier on your elbow. Um, in terms of your follow through, you want to follow through, right? Like if I'm throwing a hyzer, I want to follow through in the direction I just threw the disc. Okay, so I don't necessarily want to, if you roll over after the disc is released, it doesn't really matter, but that's hard to do without rolling the disc over. Right. So I say you just want to, like, if I'm cocked back in this position, I want to finish on the other side of it, just like that. Almost like you're kind of slapping someone in the face. Perfect, right. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. No, I, I was just curious because we've kind of heard all kinds of different things. I might have said the wrong thing once because, like we talked about, we're both still learning here. Um, so that's I thanks mean, for clearing that too, one up so. for me. Yeah. <laughs> we're all there. For sure. So. Well, I want to take this chance to maybe pivot a little bit out of this conversation to talk about, you know, we've been talking about form and we've been talking about, you know, improving it. And so I think a really good 
area that I want to talk about is the World Championships. You know, you finished third at the World Championship in Emporia. I was there. I was watching you play. And I was very impressed. And I just want to talk a little bit, you know, about how that was for you. You know, hearing that you'd only been playing disc golf for a couple years, and really one of the first times being on tour in the biggest stage, the brightest lights. What was it like playing that final round for the World Championship? Yeah, I mean, honestly, by the final round, Kristen had it. <laughs> Let's be, we can be honest about that. Kristen had it going in that final round. So, like, my mindset was, you know, given who I am, how long I've been playing, the fact that I was even on that lead card the final round, I was just trying to enjoy it. Um, I was trying to keep a positive attitude, and I was just trying to learn from it because you can't recreate the kind of nerves and the kind of pressure you feel when you've got that stage and all these people watching and people watching at home and like other really good players you can't recreate that in practice and so it was just to me it was an opportunity to see like what am i made of in this situation um hmm. and then you know after the fact kind of go back and reflect on it um and try to improve the next time i'm there Heck yeah. Was there I, was there any added pressure being a Dynamic Discs player at that Dynamic Disc headquarters, like in Dynamic Discville? Was there any extra added pressure during the tournament for that? Uh, not really. Um, yeah, Dynamic Disc doesn't really put a ton. They don't really demand very much of of us, of me. Um, they're more of like, and like we're giving you incentives, but we're not making demands. But there is no like oh, you better go win. It, they were all just stoked that I was doing so well. So, Gotcha. Heck yeah. So you said you were kind of just trying to absorb the moment, learn from it, take take what you could away from it. So what did you? What was one thing that you took away from that final round of how you did play or perform? Yeah, so I think just like the tournament as a whole and comparing it to the Dynamic Disc Open because they were at the same courses. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know this, but DDO was actually my worst finish of the year. So I went from worst finish of the year to best finish of the year. Um, and I think part of that had to do with something I struggle with all year has been out of bounds. Um, I can throw shots really, really well. I can execute all of these shots very, very well in practice. And then you throw an OB line on there and I had some kind of mental block. And so the thing that I was really trying to work through that week was just like, don't be afraid of the OB. You know, you pick... So that was something I took away from it was like, you need to pick your lines and your game plan with the OB, with the obstacles in mind. But then when it actually comes to game day, you need to not think about them and just execute your shots. Cause OB doesn't really change anything, right? Like, you know, there's right. no reason to go throwing it. I would throw it into the ground cause I was scared of going out of bounds with throwing it in the grounds even worse than going out of bounds cause I didn't advance at all. So mm. I guess, yeah, that kind of trying to let go of the fear aspect of it and then kind of separate the practice mindset from the uh, execution mindset. All right, everyone, I want to take a moment to take a pause on this interview. Unfortunately, I do have some bad news. For whatever reason, our recording software failed to capture the rest of this interview. We talked a little bit more about form and distance, and we mainly covered the uh, hot take as well as the ace round. So unfortunately, those will not make this podcast. But to make up for it, I'm going to give you guys 
the bonus episode for our Patreon members for the remainder of this podcast. You're going to hear a little bit about what mental things you can do even when it's going poorly how you can improve your disc golf game as well as some other topics so you're gonna enjoy hopefully the remainder of this podcast and i am going to be looking into maybe changing up our provider for recording because not happy with this so i do apologize that this has happened has not been a problem before Hopefully, it will not be a problem into the future. We do have some amazing guests lined up, so I definitely would like it to not be a problem in the future. So thank you guys for sticking with us. If you've enjoyed, make sure you hit the like button. And if you like the back half of this podcast and you're like, man, I wish I got an extra bonus episode every single week, consider joining us over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Clankers. There's some other great perks there. We're getting ready to do a episode with a bunch of our Patreon members as well. So make sure you check that out and we will see you guys in the bonus. Welcome into the bonus episode, everybody. We got Holland hanging out with us still tonight. Man, what a good episode that was, Quentin. What do you think? Yeah, uh, if you're listening to this, I know you got better at disc golf because I got better at disc golf tonight, and that's good because I got my butt kicked at this last tournament, Holland. I I don't know if you've ever had this issue where you know one round you're just on top of the world. You know, going back to those B C A tiers where you're playing two rounds a day. One round you're on top of the world, and the next round you're at the bottom of the barrel, and that seems to be my game right now. Um, so I'm going to ask a very selfish question. How do I stop doing that? How do I stop going from either my first round being probably the worst guy out there and then the second round being the best one or vice versa? What, what, what is something that I should probably be doing differently? I mean, I guess it depends on why your score is so bad, right? Like, were you just throwing OB when you weren't the other time? Um, cause it could be. Yeah, could be a mechanical a thing. Bit. It could be a maybe it got windy. There's a lot of reasons you can suck one day and be good the other day. It's um, definitely a lot mental. I'll I'll admit that right. it's definitely well, a lot well, if mental. It's mental I... it, is it possible that you shoot the really really good round? You go on your lunch break and now you have an expectation that you're going to shoot a really good second round. Um. So typically this year it has been round one is bad. I then go get a Wendy's four for four and I come back on good vibes. And it just sounds like you absolutely need to start your day frosty. with a Wendy's four by four. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I think we fixed but, it. Yeah. Literally. But this last weekend, first round, I wasn't really paying attention. I was just out there with good vibes, and I. By the time it was over, I was in second place, one stroke back, and then I literally could not stop. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix thinking about where I was sitting on the leaderboard, what my score was, and then very first hole, I threw something that was a very – it was a bad shot, but it was very safe, and then skipped probably 70 feet into a river, and it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. It really wasn't – I then took another double bogey on the next hole because I missed a putt going for a birdie, and then – you know, got back to it. It was fine, fine, fine. 18 is a 
like 280 foot water carry. I carry the water. It then hits a rock and rolls back into the water. I was under the understanding that because I crossed inbound safely, I would get to take it from where it went out of bounds, easy tap in par, move on. I was then challenged, and instead I had to go to the drop zone, and because I was mad, I threw it in the water again. Oh, and no. Then, I yeah, I was I haven't heard any very, of this, very mad when uh, that yeah, happened. Yeah, I mean, literally everyone has gone through that exact story, and the, the reason is your mentality in that first round was fantastic. You didn't have mm-hmm. expectations, and that's the key sure. is kind of like not – letting yourself have expectations that not the same thing as like having low expectations because then you're just mm-hmm. kind of holding yourself back but like the way i kind of get out of that is your only goal the whole day has nothing to do with scoreboard whether you're doing well while you're doing poorly is like have a good attitude and give every shot your full attention mm-hmm. right that those is are two definite, things you can yeah. control yeah right like you yeah. can't you can't even really mm-hmm. control where you are on the leaderboard because that depends on what other people are doing you can't mm-hmm. control stupid things like a rock hitting your disc uh, and pushing it into the water, um, but you can have you can choose to have a good attitude about it. You can choose to not let that anger that kind of rise up and not give mm-hmm. it any oxygen. Just kind of, just kind of like I always tell people is like you don't have to tell yourself positive things, but if you could just not tell yourself negative things when like shit's hitting the fan, um, yeah. you're already doing better than like ninety percent of people. That's very good yeah, advice. I like that. My Aries rage, sometimes I just cannot control it. <laughs> and uh, I don't ever take it out on anybody, but I definitely... Except when they nice you. Yeah, I you. hate those people. Um, that doesn't yeah, do anything, much. though. <laughs> it does. That, see, okay, my see, nice see tiny you're little sabotaging brain yourself there. Yeah, you're, see, you're sabotaging yourself there. You're giving I, that I person... All, like, so now I know if I'm playing you, all I got to do yeah. is every time you throw, say nice... And you're yep. going to beat yourself. And I swear to That's God, you, if man. it's on a good trajectory and then it just 180s, <laughs> I'm going to turn around and be like, just just don't talk. During, you can tell me nice after the disc lands. I'm all good with that. But while it's in the air, let's all be quiet. We're at a play right now. Let the it's let the funny. actors act. All the time. I still uh, you, just, you let people mess with you too easy. Here's my question. When you're like practicing or when you're like warming up your putt and you're missing every putt, do you – get on to yourself about it um so if i'm at a tournament and i'm warming up the putt i will probably make like the first 20 and then the first one i miss i'm like oh that's not good and then i miss like eight in a row and then walk away go do something else and then eventually putt again um so i think almost like once something bad happens it's like uh Oh God! How do I get this out of my head now that I know this is a reality? Right, got you. So here's an op- here's here's my tip for you: is um, when you're in that warm up scenario and you miss a putt, because like newsflash, everybody, even the best putters in the world, miss putts. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Whatever. It's like take that opportunity when you miss the putt to practice how you're gonna react when something doesn't go your way because it's gonna happen. Mm. I don't care how good mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. Something yeah. bad's gonna happen. So like those little moments when you know mm-hmm. you said you just made the first twenty, it's like clearly you're a good putter if you just made twenty putts. You missed one. That's a good opportunity to practice saying nothing. So don't say mm-hmm. anything to yourself if a thought pumps in your head. Don't try to like suppress it and force it away. Just like don't give it oxygen. Don't say it out loud. Don't sit there and mm-hmm. dwell on it. It'll go away on its own, and you can just go right back to putting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, I think know, that's really good. You're practicing, you're practicing your responses, and then yeah. when it comes time and around to decide how you're going to respond to something, you've got reps, right? It's mm-hmm. just you're, you're getting reps just like anything else. I think mm-hmm. for me, this is my selfish thing. I have a problem, and Quentin and I have talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but I have a problem where like, if I make my first putt, even if it's a 10-footer or a 25-footer, or whatever it might be. If I make my first putt, my round generally seems to be much better than if I cage or miss the miss my first putt. I mean, it's probably going to be the same advice. It's like all mental. What would you say? I mean, it, it's got to be about the same, right? Like, try not to yeah, think I about mean, anything and just putt. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's, try it's not so to hard. think about anything. Like, yeah, don't think about an elephant. What are you thinking about right now, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. it's impossible to tell yourself don't think about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find the closest you can get is to just, like, maybe focus on your breathing. Um, hmm. So for me, like, I tend to, sh- I sometimes short that first putt. And so I try to have, like, almost a rhythm with my, like, uh, oh, my cat just opened the door. Um, with, All like, good. you know, exhaling up here and then, uh, you know, er- inhaling as I bring the putter down and exhaling as it goes, uh, as it goes back up. Um, I felt cause usually what happens, right. Is you're a little nervous. So you start to get tight, but taking yep. those deep yeah. breaths can kind of help you loosen back up and to be a little bit more like how you're putting when you're just practicing, which is nice and loose. And okay. then same thing I, I was telling Quentin is like, you just have to like, let the missed putts go. Like they're going to happen. You can't let them have any kind of hold over you like that. And the first step of that is just don't say anything to yourself when it happens. Just go tap in your next putt. And, like, you'll find that those, like, kind of bad, like, negative thoughts just kind of go away on their own if you don't sit there and dwell on them. But you also don't have to, like, try to force them away. Right. Because yeah, I don't know if this happens – This is, I don't know if this happens to you, Trent, but for me, I feel like when that bad thought happens and I almost try to force it away, that is when it just gets so much strength that it – three holes later – I could still be going back to that. And I'm like, literally stop talking about that in my head. And it just continues the cycle of like, it just will not go away. And the, I can't believe you missed that putt talk. Yeah. Or that, yeah. I can't believe well, I hit like, that tree. It's like when you try to anything. reason yeah. with a toddler, right? Right. You know, like, oh, have geez. you ever tried to reason with a toddler? Who's <laughs> this guy every day. You can't. About, about yeah, an hour you, ago. <laughs> you can't. But the only way to get him to shut up is to ignore him. Right? It's true. Yeah. Or distract So you have to think else. of that negativity. It's like a Damn. toddler. It's annoying. It. And it's going to get the better of you. But if you just like ignore it, let it be, it'll stop sooner. Ignore Man. it, let it be. Or the, the the one that really works with my son is like distracting him with something else. It's like he's dwelling about the phone being off because he's done watching his show. It's like, hey, how about you go color over here? And in the disc golf world, the, the equation, equation could be, Dang, you just smashed a tree 50 feet off the tee pad. Oh, hey, look, now you got an approach shot. Go hit that. Don't worry about it. But yeah. it's very hard. Uh, it's very so, hard uh, to do. And I think, yeah, that's why you got to start looking at how you do what you do in practice and how you talk to yourself oh, in practice and in warmups because that's where it starts, right? You're getting good, like, mental game reps in. So I almost. Just the same think... way you're getting any kind of physical reps in. Right. I almost think our idea of like when it's going well and we're putting well and we're warming up and then if it starts to go bad, stopping and doing something else might not be the best way to handle it. It's not it. a bad idea. Is it? I don't know. Okay. 
I mean, it's better than like being negative, right? Oh god mm -hmm. Like literally any almost anything is better than just being like, Oh, you suck or God, of course mm -hmm. you started messing like, Oh, that's just how today is gonna go. It's like Ooh, can you imagine like one. deciding your entire day based off of like half a second of something? I hate happening? I hate it's when like, people say that. They like accept that they're gonna be bad today off the rip. It's the worst. Man, the worst. fun stuff. Good talk. Sorry, I'm I just like processing it. all that because it, it does make sense. And I do think that, I mean, that's the difference between being a 900 rated disc golfer and a you know 960 rated disc golfer. Somebody who's getting fifth at a C tier and somebody who's getting, you know, podium finishes at the world championship, so on and so forth. Um, so I think we, I have learned a lot. I'm definitely going to take these 10 minutes and I'm going to, uh, really think about that, process it and try to take it to the course.